Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Part of the Boundless Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to a super duper uber special episode of Whining About Herstory, the women's history podcast where two lying long time besties with breasties whine about women from herstory that you probably haven't heard of, but deaf should have. Mm-hmm. And in honor of Women's History Month and our three year anniversary, we have a month of special guest collaborations and other fun treats for you. And we are hitting the ground running with a very special guest, Caitlin. Calgira, the founder and president of Washington, D.C.'s first women's history tour company, a tour of her own. Caitlin is a licensed tour guide, author, and general fucking badass who is working to tell the stories of the women who are part of D.C.'s and our country's history, even if you didn't know they were there. And I want everyone to know... I paused at her name for dramatic emphasis and not because I had a panic attack that I was going to say the last name wrong. Again. It was all very purposeful. (laughs) We believe you. This is why my social media handle is just Kate Cal. And people just start calling me that because we eliminate the confusing part of my last name. You know, I thought people would know how to pronounce my last name because it's a Harry Potter character. No No one knows how to pronounce my last name still. No mm-hmm. one. So I feel yeah. I'm trying to think of how many people have tried to pronounce my last name since I got married. They always used to fuck up my maiden name. But now I don't think really a lot of people call me by my last name since I've gotten married. And then some people like just go by their last names too. So it's really weird how our names kind of define us or we just ignore it. Like, eh, we just won't say it because we can't pronounce it, right? Yeah. 100%. 100%. I was super bitter about Harry Potter for like eight years because everyone was making fun of me for my last name. (laughs) Hey, I can hold a grudge. I can't do much, but I can hold a grudge. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for joining us. This is an incredible treat for us. We're huge fans. Mm -hmm. Um, You were kind enough to have us on one of your uh, women podcaster panels, which was an incredible experience that I didn't feel like we deserved at any point during it. (laughs) Talk about like... um... Imposter, imposter syndrome, syndrome just like hitting you in the face that yeah. was that was it uh yeah no it's really great to be here thank you for having me I'm super excited as well yeah going back to that panel there was like so many amazing podcasters in that room and it's just nice to like stay connected and you know keep supporting each other so thank you for that and no imposter syndrome we're all just trying to survive out here you know hundred percent hundred percent um so we just have a few questions for you and uh we're gonna start off with everyone's most hated interview question which is the one I always have to ask could you tell us a little bit about yourself your background and how you started a tour of her own sure I'll do my best <laughs> I feel like this could be complicated or you know nuanced but I'll, I'll try to simplify it and feel free to ask any follow-up questions um, I'll, I'll kind of work my way backwards. So I'm a licensed DC tour guide. I also have worked in some other cities, but have lived here for about eight years now. So DC became home and I kind of fell in love with it. And a few years into my career, I was just like doing all the traditional tours, like on the national mall and pointing out statues, memorials, monuments, which 
if you've ever been to DC or really anywhere in public, you know that women's representation is like so far and few between. So yeah, thumbs down. So I was going out there and just like constantly talking about the same stories and the same people. And they are often presidents, war generals, you know, men who have stolen our history in one way or another. So that's kind of how I set out to tell women's stories through women's history tours and like didn't know how that was going to go, um, was kind of new. Few people were doing it. So I, I really leaned on a lot of uh, friends and colleagues who are supportive. And now we are in our fourth or fifth year, which is kind of unbelievable. And uh, and I'm really proud of that. Um, but I, I do, when I tell my story, I always say like, it did not start in tourism because before I moved to DC, I was involved in a lot of other things. I was involved in um, sports. I played and coached softball for quite a long time. I thought that was going to be my career. But uh, on theme, you know, a career in women's athletics is not very promising and very hard to navigate. So I sort of, uh, you know, made my way out of that and into tourism. But my uh, experience in as a, you know, female athlete really shaped like my feminism, my drive to work in community, and also like travel. Like I'm a huge traveler. And as a kid, I was always on a bus or on a plane, staying in hotels, traveling to games, doing all that. And I think that looking back, that really kind of spurred my interest in tourism and like, you know, interacting with other kinds of people, going to different cities and just like diving headfirst into museums and spaces and places and all that good stuff. That is amazing. Also, that's a great answer to that question. I usually answer that question like, <laughs> there's not much to say. I'm yeah. I'm like glued together with Elmer's. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> also, I forgot to mention that all three of us are drinking. Um, Caitlin, do you want to tell us what you're what wine you're repping today? Sure. I am repping a lovely red Pinot Noir in that, a massive glass. Yeah, that is a massive. That is the most beautiful glass of wine I've ever seen. And yeah, if I, you want to see this glass of wine, subscribe to our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Shameless plug. No, that is a beautiful glass of wine. I only use it on special occasions. So tonight is, is you know, we're celebrating. We will we will try to live up to the expectations of the glass. <laughs> I feel like we're already failing. And then uh, Kelly and I are actually drinking a local Minnesota wine uh, that is made just outside of where we live in Spring Valley, Minnesota. It's from Four Daughters Vineyard and Winery. It's a polygon rosé because, you know, pink is kind of the color of the month. And we picked this wine not only because it's uh, it's local, it's Minnesotan, but also it, it's very on theme because, Caitlin, as you said, there's a lot of talk about the four fathers. But what about the four daughters? I should have seen that. I should have. I had a, I had this like brilliant epiphany moment at the liquor store. I was like, oh God, yes. <laughs> well done. Well done. Thank you. Touché. Thank you. You're terrible. <laughs> so in the early years of a tour of her own, how did you kind of start conducting the research and like formulate those first tours? 
Uh, that's probably like a two-part question. I think one, I just became totally obsessed. Um, was going to like every event I possibly could, was listening to podcasts, watching documentaries. Fortunately, in D.C., we have like a ton of access to the Smithsonian and the National Archives, the Library of Congress. So there were resources available to me. And when I launched in 2018, we were just coming up on the women's suffrage centennial of 100 years. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of programming around that that just kind of added to the hype. So yeah, I'm, I just became like a student of women's history. I, I don't have any background in this. And I don't know if that's like something I shouldn't say because I'm like, this is what I do. But I don't like I didn't go to an all-women's college. This is not history that I learned in school. I did not, you know, major in gender studies. I'm just, like, someone that came to D.C. and was like, uh, this is bullshit. We need to just, like, highlight the women. And so I I did. I started kind of, like, ground up. And I, I share that because it's, like, I know it's intimidating for people to uh, think about, like, yeah, how, how would I even – where would I even start, you know? <laughs> but, like, that's the thing. Just start somewhere. Yeah. So – that that's kind of my personal experience but also uh not only was i learning women's history i was starting a business for the first time an llc which is like a whole nother ridiculous overwhelming like we're just out of control decision and like full of responsibility so i had a lot to learn on that end and i i was really uh fortunate that i had like a team of tour guides who did a bulk of the early tour development so I could do the business stuff. So I had like, I've had multiple people on my team since the beginning who are nerds just like us and they just like, you know, go all out. And a lot of them have been early developers and supporters. And so I just always share credit to them uh, when I can. So that really resonates with us because we also, uh, are very vocal about how we have no business doing what we're doing right yeah. now. Neither of us majored in history. Nope. This isn't stuff that we learned about in school. You know, we just, we want to do a podcast together and uh, we're like, well, what's a topic that we want to learn more about? Um, and women's history was kind of the the standout topic. And again, I don't know if anyone's listened to our first two episodes. We definitely just did. Yeah, we just dove <laughs> we in. We just started. Um, we were like, we have a microphone and a table and we'll do it. Yeah. We had a single microphone. Yeah, we shared it, one mic in the beginning. It was, it was really bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, I mean, we're also an LLC and I still don't fully understand how it works. That was very much Kelly because I like the business side stresses me out. I don't even want like doing my own taxes gives me a panic attack. I can't handle business <laughs> stuff. So I'm very yeah. fortunate again, like it's it's so nice to have people around you who can support you so you, you don't have to have all the strengths, all the acumen mm -hmm. because you have a team, you have people who care about you and want to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's very sort of feminine, like women's leadership or just our way to lean on our sisters and our girlfriends and ask for help. You know, there's there's different styles, I think, between men and women, whether you're talking historically or modern. And that's one of them. Like, like women's leadership is soft. And when we know what we know, and if we don't, like there's a level of comfort in in expressing that and sharing that and trying to get there. And so um, you know, it's 
it, it's just something that, yeah, I had to learn and I still am trying to get comfortable with. But I will say back to your point, there are two subjects they didn't teach us about in school women's history and taxes like why don't they (laughs) like why don't they teach us about how to like run a business and be responsible with our money uh we just have to i guess figure it out later in life that's why everyone became an influencer because it's like no instagram i get that i can figure that out what taxes Mm, i don't fucking think so starting a small business no concept of that, but I've been on Instagram since I was 12. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Social media is easy. Taxes. Mm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Spoken like a real millennial. <laughs> yes, 100%. So a tour of her own, which, by the way, I love the name because I have the biggest crush on Virginia Woolf. Oh, girl, like, I'm breaking your heart right now. I'm no, so sorry. No, is it not based on a room of their, of her, of their own? It's not. Oh, it's my not. God. My world is shattered. Oh, no, I have to. No, like at least like once a month, I have to like break this new <laughs> somebody who who always like says it to me in that exact way. Like, oh, we're a fan and like we love the name because of it. And I'm like, oh, God, they're they're not going to be a fan anymore. Okay, um, so now you need to tell us where the name came from. Well, I'm going to give you a second guess. Any other guesses out there? Um, Is there another tour that's called a tour of his own? No, no, I don't know. No. Kelly, do you yeah, have any guesses? I, have no guesses? I feel like I wasted all of our guesses. And only one of them was passable. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it comes from the movie A League of Their Own. Oh, oh fucking duh. a! Jesus Christ! Oh my God, I love I that love, movie. Yeah. I was Wait, just... if you're just listening to the podcast right now. You need to watch this video. Oh and my just God! Punch the pure shame. <laughs> I was literally just talking about that movie. Two days ago. I dressed up as that as Halloween last year. You did! Not this last year, but the year before. I think I had so in my head, like, yeah, Virginia Woolf, a room of their own, you know? I didn't even think about it. Oh, my God. Okay, well. I love that, though. That's great. We all learned something new. (laughs) Yeah, and in all, like, fairness, because I'm, like, such a, like, a weirdo with this kind of stuff, when I came up with the the name A Tour of Her Own, it is, like, super interpretive. Like, it is however anyone you know relates to that like it is your tour it is our tour it is the tour of all the women that came before us so like oh you know you get points it's totally yeah. fine like all art it's up for interpretation let's say one day we'll make it to dc and take the tour no that one that's day. that's it's on our agenda it it very much is i literally just need to like start looking at when the weather is decent in dc because i don't know how weather works anywhere but minnesota i'm like what do you mean it's not cold nine months out of the year <laughs> Well, I'll give you the insider tip since we're here. The fall, I think, is the best time to come to D.C., probably October, November, even into December. It doesn't get that cold here and there aren't a lot of crowds and it's like it's just really beautiful. So come in the fall. Okay, perfect. Done. Done. It's happening. (laughs) Flights booked. Done. So uh, a tour of her own now that I've recovered from understanding what the name is homage to has really grown in blossom since its founding in 2018 and especially in the light of that little blip on the historical radar the pandemic covid i don't know if anyone's heard of it people didn't go outside yeah no it was yeah the tourism industry just really suffered and could you share a little bit with us about how a tour of of her own has changed since its inception Wow. Well, um, I'll start by saying that I knew a tour of own had to exist 
but I never put like a specific identity or timeline or expectations on her. We'll just call her her. Um, I I always was just like, this is going to have to unfold in a way that I'm not prepared for. And you just got to roll with the punches. So to that regard, like when the pandemic hit, I'm not going to say I was prepared at all, but I was like ready to be flexible and just like make things happen no matter what. Um, I interestingly was still early enough in the business where I I was already in a phase of figuring things out. I, I was not totally like set. So I had opportunities to pursue some things that I wanted to let go of some other ideas that weren't going to work in the pandemic. And so I think some of the things that came from that were our virtual programs. Um, we are still running them and people really like them. <laughs> like even post pandemic, there is an audience outside of DC that wants to connect with us. And so joining us on Zoom like once a month or twice a month is a really great way of building and keeping those relationships with, you know, people in other places. So virtual is one. And then um, early in a tour of our own founding, we were primarily just running like major events, like once a year, twice a year. And that was what I was going to do because tourism in DC is very seasonal. It's March to June. It's cherry blossoms and graduations and spring breaks. And then the rest of the year, tour guides are just out and about around here, like not knowing what to do with ourselves. And so we're out drinking and partying and just doing all the ridiculous things. Yeah, you know, just. Uh, I love that. I love that for you. we're fun a fun group we're nerds but we're we're fun um, nerds nerds know how to party like no one else does true frat guys have nothing on us because we're also yeah. so aware of all like the horrible history and shit going on we're like <laughs> to the world burning i don't know drink about it <laughs> to the world burning <laughs> to the world burning cheers cheers yeah so i thought toho so I don't know if I mentioned that we call a tour of her own Toho because I was going to ask about that because that's how we have it written in our notes. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we when just I keep saying the full name, yeah, I, no, I... we're just say Toho. Toho. Who the fuck has the energy to say? A that's tour also for my foot fetish Instagram handle Toho. at Toho MN. <laughs> There's an E on the end. Oh. Yeah. Toho MN. Okay, yeah. I see you. All right, it all, you heard it here first. Right? Yes. <laughs> this is how I'm soft launching my new foot fetish brand, Toho MN. <laughs> Coming soon to OnlyFans. I can't. The okay, funny and, thing is I've actually done, done foot modeling, so it's not entirely a lie. <laughs> oh, we're going to need a separate interview to dive yes. into that. No, it was um, really easy money, but the guy was a creep, so I stopped doing it. Well, that's, uh-huh. that's the TLDR of it. That's that's the female experience, yeah, like right. Right? money, but creepy. It's yeah. always you gotta, you gotta balance that. it out. Like which is better? <laughs> like how creepy are they versus yes. how well are they paying you? Hundred percent. Oh gosh. Okay, so yeah, we were doing events, and I was like, I'll do this in the off season, and then I'll continue my other kind of work in the busy season because I also was leading tours for a lot of like eighth grade groups that were coming to the city and things like that. So it was really just supposed to like supplement that. And then, you know, there was this kind of moment that came, I think, just with Toho growing and the pandemic hitting where it just made sense to kind of like, okay, this is now my full time gig and it's either 
everything or nothing all or you know all right now or not at all kind of a thing so um yeah I just like I dove in as much as the pandemic was hard economically and financially for our industry it gave us the gift of time and I always say you have two things in life you either have money or time and whichever one you have you got to take advantage of so in the pandemic I co-wrote my book, 111 Places in Women's History That You Must Not Miss, with my incredible colleague, Rebecca Grawl, and photos by Cindy Schiavetto. And so that was just like a total turning point for Toho. And somehow, here I am drinking wine, talking about it with you. Well, and your your story and the story of Toho has been picked up by a lot of popular publications. I think Forbes is one of them. They, like you have a whole section of your site that's just like, hey, hashtag humble brag, but all these people are talking about us. So don't worry. popular we are. <laughs> but I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind, honestly, that Toho is the first women's history tour J- just because there's so much history in Washington, D.C., and really, especially nowadays, it feels like the strategy is to get more niche. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone's heard, like, the top 10 listicle facts about the founding fathers or the Capitol building or whatever, but people haven't heard about, you know, the black history in D.C., women's history, queer history in D.C., like, all this other stuff, and I guess I'm just a little... I'm so happy you did it because you're right. It needed to exist, I am a little shocked and disappointed that you had to be the first. Right. 2018 had to be the first. Granted, yeah. we still don't have our um, our museum built yet. That's true. Working mm-hmm. on it. I keep buying their merch to help support them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, preach. And whoever's listening, go buy their merch and donate and do all the things. Um, yeah, no. Okay, so let, let, me, let me set it straight a little bit because I think this is a little bit nuanced and I want to be fair to my colleagues. There were people doing women's history tours in D.C., but most of the people that were doing them were running them under tourism companies that had a lot of other offerings. So they do the traditional National Mall tour. They have a tour of Georgetown. They have a ghost tour. Um, And the women's history tour was something that maybe they offered less frequently or during Women's History Month, but... There were and still are people outside of Toho who are committed to sharing women's history around the city. I share that because that's something that I had to really sit with and try to figure out, well, why didn't that work? Why weren't those tours getting sold out and being run regularly? And so in the early years of Toho, you know, those were the questions I was asking And now I wouldn't say I have an answer because I learn every single day, but I think I've come closer to figuring that out. And ironically, I think that like Toho isn't so much of a, of a tour company. I know we, we are, we offer tours and all that, but I don't build and network so much within the tourism industry as much as I do outside of it, because I think women's history is so marginalized that we have to find other ways to make it relevant. So a lot of the networking that I do and the relationship building has to do with the hospitality industry. So we make it a point not just to share women's history, but to go support women-owned businesses, restaurants, boutiques, 
you know, all that stuff. You know, I have relationships with other women writers, women who are editors at local magazines that focus on culture. I think we just step outside tourism and that's where the people are like even podcast this podcast world you know like i am so much more often in like women's his- on women's history podcasts than i am on tourism podcasts mm-hmm. because you're my people you know but it takes like a very i think intentional approach to to dive into those worlds and i think that's what has made toho a little bit different and successful is like just blending all of the things finding all the people out there and bringing them into our world sorry I have no words that's just all of me I'm like it 100% okay. makes sense and I also love the I'm, multi- I'm, sometimes I'm like like in my mind you're, you're also just like that made no sense and what and no, 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 I no even know how I got here <laughs> it makes perfect sense and I love the multi-layered approach that you're taking because we, you know women's history isn't just the stories that we're telling it's what's happening now it's the women in the world now who are doing the work fighting the fight you know or even like just running their business or trying to break into male-dominated industries and I think one of the most amazing things about learning about these stories is seeing how average some of the women are they're not Mm. superheroes they're not superhuman. They're just women who are like, well, that's kind of fucked up. Someone should do something about that. Yeah. And then they do the damn thing. Yes. And it, it's it, it's really empowering and inspiring. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're like, there should be something like this. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not gonna wait around for someone else to make it. I'm gonna do it. Yeah. And and but also, yeah, no, like women's history is existing in every form possible and it affects our lives in every single way and the fact that you're supporting women in all these different ways is incredible including us which we really appreciate (laughs) oh that's like really really well said um I'm gonna be sitting and thinking about that for a long time it's just sort of like these average women and average stories and it's just like you really just like kind of like poked me with that because it's women's history month and it's like you know everyone's like march and you just get bombarded and I you know in my sarcasm if you follow us on social media sometimes I'm like hey happy women's history month by the way we're here all year you know but you know it's just it's just the way it goes you just get like hit with so many questions but like the one thing that's been really 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 hard for me this month is people asking me these questions like who's the one woman that's a hero or name five places in DC that everyone needs to know as a, as like, you know, an intro. And, and I'm just like, it's so hard to do that because it's not the one hero that changes things. It's the person that just goes, you know, under the radar can do what they're doing for a long time and make change over in like incremental periods. And it's such a hard question to answer. And so like when you say, yeah, it's about the average women, I totally relate with that and think that that really needs to be like more of our messaging around this, you know? It's that one woman that's just like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And you can't stop me. And I'm just going to keep chipping away until I like I make progress. So yeah. I, I think earlier in the interview, I said something about how I'm constantly existing in my pool of shame and thank, going thank to your point, you I'm going to, yeah, <laughs> I'm just marinating in a pool of shame. It's fine. But we do have one of those questions, uh, kind yeah. of like, what's the top, whatever, but are you skipping ahead? It's a little different. Stealing my question? No, we're on, 
I'm I'm odd. You're even. Because yeah, we skipped a question because she answered two questions. Oh shit! In one. I'm sorry. Well, please, Kelly, I do not want to blow up your spot. Please Emily go ahead. Emily just wants to take over the whole interview. No, ask the shame <laughs> question, Kelly. Please Fine. save me from myself. <laughs> So the most iconic sites in D.C., such as the Smithsonian Museum, White House, Vietnam Memorial, and the Arlington National Cemetery, receive hundreds of thousands of visitors. What are some of the historical nuggets hidden in plain sight at popular sites such as these? And that should say historical. Historical I, I think you nuggets. know what we're talking about. We're all on the same wavelength here. <laughs> I'm sure Google just auto-corrected it. because Google, <laughs> Google okay. like Arlington Sexist. National Cemetery, everyone goes and visits the Eternal Flame. And, you know, there, there are some of these things that everyone goes and sees. But these are very popular sites that are featuring women's history. And it's like, what are the things that people are missing? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, we have three tours, three different tours about Arlington National Cemetery wow. because there's so much women's history overlooked there. We have two live tours and a virtual. So it's like a great place to start. Um, I'll start with this and I'll make some connections. So at Arlington National Cemetery, there's like over 400,000 people buried there. And particularly two presidents and two first ladies. Oh, I didn't know there were two first ladies there. Right, right. So like let me let's do some trivia. Do you know yeah. one first lady there? I okay, I want to say Jackie Kennedy, but I feel like yeah. it's not it. Oh, it is? That's totally it. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. And then um nobody like knows Is it the other is one. it Ulysses S Grant's wife? Oh no, but that would be so I awesome. thought that might be a good cuz I know yeah. the, the site used to be the Confederate general's home and then the union took over. So I thought that'd be like the ultimate fuck you. Yeah. Like the ultimate combat. <laughs> well, that would be, I don't know that where she's great, but yeah. we yeah. need to campaign to like re-enter her at Arlington just for like the revenge factor. <laughs> okay. So not, no, not Grant. Um, First lady and president Taft. So oh. uh, Helen Nellie Taft is okay. buried at Arlington Cemetery. They would and have been pretty low on the list for me to just start guessing. Yeah, exactly. And they both kind of just, I think, have that kind of reputation. But we love them as tour guides in D.C. They have a ton of local history, which is why they're buried there. In fact, a bunch of uh, Toho tour guides did trivia the other night. And our team name was like the Taft Truthers. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, we're really committed. Uh, okay, so... First Lady Helen Ellie Taft is buried there, but everybody goes to see Jackie because they know Jackie Kennedy and they love her. And we, we we all love her, but, you know, the Kennedys get enough attention. Yeah. Helen Taft is like one of my favorite First Ladies. And one of the things that people don't realize about her, which brings me to my second place, is that she was one of the influential people in bringing the cherry blossoms to Washington, D.C. Oh, Wow. I was just seeing this on your social media, which I was like, oh, my God, I didn't. I know about the cherry blossoms. Yeah. Did not yeah. know that, like, it was a historical tidbit. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm on a campaign this spring to just, like, totally flip this upside down because it makes us so mad um, because it's Helen Taft. And then but primarily the woman that is responsible for the cherry blossom trees is a woman named Eliza Skidmore. And she was the first female board member of National Geographic. She was like the first writer, the first photographer in the organization. And after traveling the world, she went to Japan, 
She saw the cherry blossom tree. She brought him back. Nobody would listen to her. And then finally, Jeez. Helen Taft was like, I got you, girl. Let's do this. And they brought, like, I think it was like 3,000 cherry blossoms to D.C. And now everybody goes there and they take pictures and selfies and right. we love it. But it's like their history is not remembered. There's no plaque for them. And like, talk about D.C. The cherry blossoms are one of the most iconic things. And they're, you know, literally there because of two women. So I, I am on my pedestal this spring, really trying to make sure that people know this. And I'm going to try to do a campaign this year on Instagram where we hashtag Eliza Skidmore and just any cherry blossom trees you have hashtag Eliza Skidmore. And we just bring her name into the conversation a little bit more. That is amazing. Also, I love just the kind of the weaponization of the hashtag. Yeah. Because there there have been women that we've covered where, you know, we always do a, a hashtag in the post, hashtag their name. And there were women that we covered like in the first year and maybe there were 10 posts on Instagram that had yeah. their name as a hashtag. Mm-hmm. And now three years in, that landscape a is more, a lot more full, yeah. which is really wonderful to see. I'm not saying we have a part of, you know, it's no, you because totally of us, do. but like we're a part of like, the post and you know it's just it's really incredible but it also really shows people's broadening interest in women's history and just in general the history that we were not taught in schools or even railing against the incorrect history that we were taught in schools a la dollars of the confederacy (laughs) i I just listened to an episode about that today and i i almost had like a rage stroke it was really it was a lot um she's drinking so heavily (laughs) But that that's incredible because also all I know about President Taft is like, didn't he get stuck in his bathtub? <laughs> that's all yeah. I know. I've never even heard of his wife, though. And that's a way cooler fact than, yeah, this dude got stuck in his tub one time. Let's all laugh about it. I know. I know. It's, it's sort of like a sad story about him. And I don't even know if it's true or not, but he actually is like super accomplished and you know, actually a lot of my other tour guides can speak more to their legacy, but he was one of the only presidents to, if not the only, to serve as chief justice of the Supreme Court. He was super influential in getting the Supreme Court building like built on Capitol Hill. He was, I believe, the first president to throw out a first pitch at a baseball game. Oh my God, that's wow. so cool. The seventh <laughs> inning stretch. I mean, he's that's got like- huge. Yeah, he's got like a a nice little list. And then Helen Taft is like literally as much accomplished. She uh, was the first one to walk in the inaugural, first lady to walk in the inaugural parade with Taft. I think that it wasn't common until that point. And she was just like, you're walking with me. You're not walking at all kind of a thing. (laughs) Um, Heck yeah. I fucking love her. It's like so Me or nothing. Yep. She's she's like- I'm ride or die. You better be walk or die, bitch, because we walking together. <laughs> I'm, I bet historically she said it exactly like that. Hundred percent with 100%. the hand motions, and she's like throwing her hands like bitch. <laughs> we we call that New Jersey style where I'm from. New Jersey <laughs> style. <laughs> well, my mom will be really happy to hear that because she's from New Jersey. <laughs> Where you oh learned it from? Uh, uh, yeah, no, I just I adopted her East Coast energy. Apparently, perfect. Yeah. So, oh. East Coast energy. Wait, I love that. I yeah. need that on a t-shirt. I, think. I, I was gonna say, like, the second that Toho starts putting out shirts, I'm buying one of each. <laughs> yeah, next. That's the next step for sure. Merch everywhere. I barely yeah. even like have shirts for myself at this point. So 
we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> totally fair. Totally fair. So again, kind of going on that uh, shame spiral of your favorites. What is one of your favorite hidden historical sites in DC that people may not know about? And and this can be this can be this is a personal question like you specifically like the site that resonates with you or speaks to you because obviously there's no one best site just like there's no one best woman this isn't a competition. Um I think there's two. I think there's two. So can can I share two? Absolutely yeah. not 100%. against the rules interview is <laughs> one is one of you is telling me one thing yeah no please please do please tell us if you have Um, 10 um, go for it y'all you all basically were just holding hands that was cute we do that a lot yeah yeah we uh we like to maybe only a quarter joke that we're in a Boston marriage and when her husband (laughs) married her she had to have the talk with like okay you know you know Emily's a part of this right and one of the reasons I broke up with my toxic ass ex is because he didn't like her. I was like, oh, fuck, no. Red flag. Yeah, red I was like, flag. no, we're not Die. doing this. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm really getting to know y'all on a personal level tonight. Um, this is a we thing. don't have a lot of filter, especially when the wine comes out. So <laughs> podcasting is almost like therapy where there's no such thing as oversharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> as a therapist. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm trying to remember the question. Oh, it's Favorite like your his, her, hidden historical sites. Yeah, and you said you had oh, okay. two, which is totally okay. fine. Extra credit. Two. Okay, Full so start. the first one is is pretty serious and deep, so we'll go there with it. Um, it's called it, it's called the Female Union Band Society Cemetery. I freaking love cemeteries. I don't know if anyone else out there is all about this. You are. I got stuck in a cemetery at night once and it was the best experience of my life. Oh, that. Okay. That sounds scary. I'm not. Yeah. I'm like, that's too much. No, I like cemeteries, but that's too much. Well, here's the thing. It was, it was the best night of my life because I got out. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I'm not still there, but yeah, I love, love, love cemeteries. Yeah. They're just really unique places. And I think there's so many stories there and it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's it's just a thing with me. Like anytime I travel, if I see a cemetery, I'm like, oh, let's go there. And I just kind of like pop Stop in. Stop the okay, car. So- Hold on. <laughs> yep. Yeah. When you come to DC, we're going to do uh, cemeteries, wine, and women's history. Perfect. I Love think it. that's our next spinoff podcast. <laughs> cemeteries, wine, and women's history. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't even have to be a spinoff. We can just throw cemeteries into our current podcast. Yes. Oh, I have, I have, I have a story to tell you, but I'll save it for when we're we actually meet in person. It's a, it's about getting drunk in a cemetery. Ooh. Oh, can we? My can we God. hear the story while we're getting drunk in a cemetery? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, <laughs> okay. I used to know a guy who would say I was going to say something really mean, but then I decided not to, and I'm like, then why did you say anything at all? And those are the vibes I'm getting, where I'm like, why would you tease me with this because information? She's making sure we come to DC. Yeah, no, um, yeah. hold on, gonna be really unprofessional. Whip out my phone, buy some book tickets. the tickets. Yep, we'll be there in November. Hold yep, on. it's fine. Don't worry about it. You you all are on the inner circle of Toho now, so we can we can share those kinds of things. But our listeners, they still have a little bit. 
you know, more to do. So that's it. That's an in-person kind of story. But okay, I'll, perfect. I'll I, I respect that. And <laughs> if you want to hear the hidden story of getting drunk in a cemetery, book your flight and your tour right now. A tour of her own.com. Is that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. I, I just tell guessed. them whining about Herstory sent you. Yeah, tell them whining about Herstory sent you. So like maybe we can get some, I don't know. Yeah. High fives. <laughs> You'll be the first to get Gold merch. Stars. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, so it was well, like the women's union cemetery. cemetery? There's a band in there female, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Female union band society society cemetery, cemetery. Okay. okay like fubs f-b f-u-b-s fubs i can remember that all right yeah so okay here's the 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 foundation of what you need to know this was a group the society was a group of women who banded together okay they were mostly black mostly native women pre-civil war in washington dc yeah, they were free women, but they didn't have a lot of resources. So what they did was they created a constitution within their society and pledged mutual aid to each other. So in sickness, they would get $2 a week. In death, they would get a funeral and a gravesite. Oh and God. so they are all buried in this little tiny cemetery in Georgetown. And you don't even think of this kind of history when you go to Georgetown, but it's there and it's a little bit hidden and it's a little bit endangered in that it's not like these, these, they got burials, but they didn't get gravestones a lot of the time or headstones. So, you know, you're just kind of walking through and you don't, you don't know what's below you kind of a thing. And it's really meaningful. I think it's just like, I know it's sort of like downer for this like event, but it's just like the true spirit of womanhood, just like taking care of each other, making sure no one's alone. And like, that's your final resting place. And what I think is most impressive about it that I connect to is there's a woman now named Lisa Fager who is protecting the land. She's making sure there's no construction. She's making sure people aren't like walking their dogs through it. And she's just like such a badass advocate. So when I wrote about this story in the book, I was on the phone with Lisa for like an hour and she just was going on and on and on. And I felt connected to her passion. And so now it is my passion and our passion. And I just think it's like a beautiful spot. You can just walk up to it we bring our groups there all the time it's just got a vibe it's got a real vibe to it to sit and reflect so that story is really incredible yeah, because like we I have feel it like I, I feel it on an emotional level but we have told that story um I, I'm blanking on her name right now because after three years I just I simply can have no recall of all of the women we've covered, but there was a, an indigenous woman. She was like one of the first uh, indigenous female lawyers in the United States. And I was just telling my parents about her. Fuck. Yeah. I wish I could remember Wasn't her name. Was it the one that their tribe like split? Yes. Yep. Yes. So the, the tribe kind of split based on, you know, treaty lines with the, the federal government um, in exchange for certain rights, kind of like this deal with the devil situation. But it, oh, she was with the Wyandotte tribe. So if anyone's Googling this, 
Wyandotte, lawyer, cemetery, they're your search terms. But there was this cemetery where she was living and she had family buried there. And after their tribe had been forced progressively west, like this was the most significant cultural and ancestral area that they had left. And the other sect of the Wyandotte tribe wanted to sell it so it could be developed and they could get money, which again, like, that was a whole separate situation. No shame, no shade. But she and her sisters are like, um, our mother and our grandmother and all of our yeah. ancestors are buried there. We're not doing that. So they constructed a little shack and in just, the cemetery. Yeah, they just watched it, and they would they? do rounds yeah. and they took turns watching it to keep beautiful. people out. And I wow. think this woman, oh, was she like the first woman to argue, indigenous woman to argue in front of the Supreme Court? I remember Maybe. all the facts. I can't remember the name, but she ended up saving the cemetery, wow. which is still there today. And she kind of spent the rest of her life like protecting it. Yeah. And that's the, and what blows my mind about both of those stories is the women that you're talking about, they banded together to take care of each other. And then when there was no one left, it's like, well, who is there to protect it? And this modern woman. It's like me. I got this. Yeah. I'm raising my hand. I realize I'm doing it off camera. I volunteer as tribute. Like it's, it's so incredible because it really is the theme of sisterhood. And even what you were talking about earlier, how you have all these women who support you and how you're trying to support them back. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) This is the coolest thing I've ever heard. I feel like powerful. You said it really well. Like that it is really a thing of womanhood to like band with your sisters and acknowledge like hey I don't have this knowledge but you do will you teach me will you help me we can be there for each other and support each other mm-hmm. and that just is so strong and we see that resonated throughout history even now like you had the original society that was doing that and now you have the one woman that's like no I'm still here for you I will still watch over you yeah yeah it is really powerful it's spiritual it's uh it's something to be to be honored and mm-hmm. and I share that story as much as I can because also it's it as much spiritual as it is these women also had the knowledge to create a constitution and to manage their finances yeah and that is often radical for women in history to act on you know oh yeah because it was so much maybe not it was so much taught to women back then that, you know, the men were in charge of the finances, the men did all the business and stuff like that. So the fact that these women were like, no, we're going to take care of ourselves and each other. You're right. That is huge. But even the practice of women having to abandon their career goals and their financial independence just to get married. Sure. Like they're like, no, we're going to take care of each other. Cause I trust these women way more than I do some rando dude. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. To be fair, because I think this is important. They actually had a male ally. They Mm -hmm. needed one to purchase the land. So there is uh, a man involved in this who assisted them. And that's also an important lesson because you need people like that, that are going to support your own independence and freedom. Right. So there, there it's really, it is a nuanced story in many, many ways. It's a nuanced story with a lot of characters and players and themes. And I think that's just why I love it so much. I really do. And that really is incredible because men, even nowadays can be allies and should be allies and have a lot of opportunities to do so. And having those examples of like, 
here's someone from the past where no one would have wagged their finger at him had he just done what was societally expected, but he did the right thing. Yeah. And that's incredible. What a great example to lead by. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So what is the, the yeah, second story? Like, there was a downer. What's site. the other one? Yeah, you gotta bring us back okay. up. <laughs> <laughs> so the second place is a little bit lighter. Um, but I'll start with the same theme. My so my co-author and myself, Rebecca Grawl, we kept coming back to this theme constantly when we were writing the book, and it shows up in our tours all the time that women are strong in historic preservation. And it's multi-generational, right? Like you often have the next generation preserving the one before them. And and in many times, sometimes it's strangers, but in many times it's relatives. So the next story is a good example of that. Um, the next site is called Hillwood Estate. And it is the mansion that belonged to a woman named Marjorie Merriweather Post. People out there might be familiar with the name Post, as in Post Cereal. That's what I was going to say. Is it the cereal company? Yes, it is. Oh, I thought and- it was the founder of the post office. <laughs> you can leave now. I can leave. I've been kicked off the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a great three years. <laughs> the qu- Queen Post Office or yes. Mrs. Ms. Post Office? Ms. Post Office. <laughs> Um, okay, so her name is Marjorie Merriweather Post. Often when you hear historical accounts of her, she's referred to as the heiress of the Post Serial Company in that she inherited from her fi- her family, her father. Okay, great. But language matters. And so we've tried to reframe her as a CEO, a businesswoman, a real estate monger. Like this woman really, truly had her handle on a lot. So she builds this mansion in Washington, D.C., and now, after she's now passed, it is a museum, not just to her, but it's kind of like a community space. And I love it because Washington, D.C. is, like, really unique in that we have this huge green space in the middle of the city. It's called Rock Creek Park. And people go hiking there. They bike. It is like, I think we might be one of the greenest cities in the country because this space really just expands such a large area. And the mansion is right in the middle of it. So when you go, you have like two options. You go in the mansion and there's all this like really fancy Russian artwork because she was a collector. But then it also has this like 50 style, 1950s style kitchen, which is hmm. bizarre. And then on the outside, it's just like gardens everywhere. There's a Japanese style garden. There's a greenhouse with orchids. Like this woman was literally, I, and, and when you walk in there, it says like, I bought this house and I knew it was going to be a museum. So like I built it as such. So she was just like. I've been around the world and right. I'm ready to show you. Like and that, that sounds super awesome. eclectic and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's what you would love even more is that you can bring in like a picnic, wine, beer. They also have a cafe that serves frosé, frozen rosé. Shut oh. the front <laughs> yeah, that door. Yeah, sounds like our place. Yeah. Okay, so you're saying I can get buzzed on Froze in a museum that a woman, she it wasn't only her house that she built, but she built it with the intention of it being a museum. 
hundred percent. This yeah. feels like femception, and I'm here for it. <laughs> it's such a cool place, and it's so hidden because it's like really north in the city, away from the National Mall. Um, but I love it. And Marjorie Mer- Merriweather posts like she was so rich. She's got properties in the area for sure. So like one of the biggest concert venues in Maryland is called Merriweather Post Pavilion. Hmm. Her name is on it. Uh, she shows up in really random ways. Here's another wild fact for you. Before she had this mansion at Hillwood, she built a property in Florida called Mar-a-Lago. Shut the front door. Are you serious? Shut totally wow. serious. the fuck up. I, I would not lie oh to you. Oh my much. God. Wow. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> oh, I know. It's such a wow moment. Right? Oh my God. That's insane. It, you know, it's funny because I visited a, like a historic mansion in Florida recently. Um, Viscal- Vis- Viscalia. I don't know. Um, but like, that's what I'm imagining this whole time because it's got these beautiful gardens and all this foreign art. I'm like, oh my God. But this woman like had the intention. This guy was just like, I've got so much fucking money and this is my right. summer home. So whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, my she, God. I know. So she just started like buying properties everywhere. Mar-a-Lago was one of them. Then she was just like done with it. And she, I believe, sold it to the government as like a presidential getaway, which I'm not sure how long it was that or yeah. where. But there's obviously this middle area. It's like where- this missing link in ownership yeah. <laughs> where I'm like, how did we get from here yes. to, to where? To who owns it now? <laughs> oh my God. Right, right. Many, many questions. But yeah, so she she's like the woman behind it. So let me go one step, two, one or two steps further with this because um, I just love her story. So uh, she dies and in her last will and testament leaves her home, Hillwood Estate, to the Smithsonian Institute. Because she's a bad bitch and she knew what she was doing from right. day fucking one. Yeah. She was like, oh my this God. to be a museum. It is now a museum. You kind of have no choice. It's what you do. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she she had a plan, but the plan fell through. No, no. Back. Yeah. No, I was super excited. So we're going to backpedal and we're just going to live there. <laughs> I mean, obviously, obviously, the truth. obviously, it's a museum. So, so let's let's power through. It's fine. So, it still lives as a private museum because eventually, what happened is that her granddaughter took over the foundation, took over the grounds, and made sure that her grandmother's legacy remained. Right? I mean, it exists as a museum. Like, they're they're not to say that it's easy, right, to keep right. it going. It is there for you. So another example of, you know, next generation keeping the legacy. But what Marjorie Merriweather Post tried to do was she left the estate to the Smithsonian with X amount of dollars. And she knew that X amount of dollars wasn't going to be enough to keep it running, to maintain it. So what she anticipated was that the Smithsonian would have to rely on her family members to help with the money that she gave them. And so they would, she thought they'd be on the board. She thought they'd be head of the museum. They'd be running it essentially within the Smithsonian, Yeah, but that didn't quite link up. So that plan that she had in her head 
fell through a little bit but yeah. i i call it the last the last or uh the lost smithsonian because you know it was so close it was so close to becoming one i will say i love that you're reframing her because yeah when when you say heiress or when anyone says heiress i think like paris hilton and that's yeah. not the vibe that this woman is giving off like not at all like th- this was actually like a badass boss bitch who's getting shit done and so I love that you're like no she wasn't just some rich girl that inherited money like she was doing shit with her money yeah well yeah. And even even how we view modern women who have a lot of money or have inherited money we think of it as being easy money and it's like well what what are you doing with it you know they're right. an individual with their own autonomy and their own story mm-hmm. and they That's have exactly. a lot of they have a lot of choices and they could go either uh north or south exactly <laughs> you can just spend I, I, it all or actually do shit with it yeah that's a really good point um okay so i want to read to you the last paragraph in my book about marjorie merriweather post because this is how i summed her up <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Marjorie Merriweather Post left her mark on the world in no uncertain terms. She was a suffragist, divorced four times, didn't drink alcohol, and yet threw the best parties in town. Hell yes. Hell yes. You, you don't need to drink to party. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly. She even just was like, I'm gonna party and just do it my way. Right. Like yeah. y'all, y'all can get as drunk as you want. I'm gonna be over here sober and making fun of you. Yeah, yeah. That exactly. is that. That's incredible. She just seems like someone who really had a sense of who she was and who what she was worth to the point where she's looking forward generations ahead right. and what she wanted to do. Like she was like, I bought this house. It's going to be a museum. Mm-hmm. Not like, oh, maybe it'll be a museum. No. It is going to be a museum, full stop. Where I'm like, how am I going to feed myself tomorrow? Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. One one last thing I'll note about her legacy, which I think is super interesting. One of the things that she did with the Post Cereal Company was she introduced frozen foods Ooh, and whoa. freezers to, like, That's grocery. huge. It was so huge because, like, if you, whoever's listening, like, go ask your grandmother and like be like did you have a freezer when you grew up like there was a clear generation shift of like frozen foods gave women more freedom in the home and marjorie merriweather post kind of like spearheaded that and like it was so innovative so her her legacy is just like all over the place that's that's why it's so so and i've heard that story about like the revolution of frozen foods and then like it was like, oh, hey, we can flash freeze foods and, you know, they stay, you know, they stay well longer, but grocery stores couldn't handle them, you know, because they didn't weird. have the capabilities. And there was this whole, like, to, to hear her having a piece in that, especially knowing that I had microwave, um, a microwave frozen lunch. Yeah, I had a frozen yeah. meal for lunch literally today. I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, she was in those potatoes. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Mark. It's so incredible to think, like, women had a hand in frozen foods. Women had a hand in making the flat-bottom paper bags. Like, everything women had... Yeah, that's one of our episodes. I can't remember her name either. (laughs) This is all three years thing, but yeah. Margaret or Marjorie Knight. Margaret. Margaret Knight. But yeah, like, just all these things that women had a hand in that people, like, modern-day people are like, what? Yeah, And things we don't even think about. Yeah. 
Okay. So moving on. It's, it's yeah. my turn. No, because I'm even now. Yeah, and we're on number seven. No. Yes. Wait, we, what? We haven't asked number seven. Oh yet. shit. I'm so sorry. You know, this Minnesota wine hits differently. They're like, you can't leave the house nine months out of the year, so we're going to make being in the house real good for you. Yeah, but you'd still think it would be hitting me harder than you. This is true. This is true. I have a, a Minnesota drinking question. Okay. Yes. Okay, I I met Minnesota people one time when I was out at Sorry. a bar. One time. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> oh, yeah, you betcha. <laughs> okay, they put olives in their beer. Is that a Minnesota thing? Wait, black or green olives? Green olives. I've never like heard of that. Like a martini. In like a martini, yes, but never in a beer. No. I've literally that, never that, heard of that. That's a them thing. That I, is not a Minnesota thing. I will stop telling people that then that, that's a to, Minnesota to thing. To be fair, we I'm a transplant from Illinois. I'm not. I'm born from the corn, but Kelly's a, a you know, she's a native Minnesotan, so I'm she's the expert. Born and raised Viking. <laughs> She was born with ice in her veins. The hand gesture for me. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. It's the metal fan in me. I, I'm going to have to ask other people that. Like, is this a Minnesota? Yeah, no, no, I, like, no. um, okay, so when I don't I drink first... beer, so I guess I maybe I just don't know. Maybe I'm not cool enough to know the Minnesota way to drink beer. But I also have a friend that brews beer and no one at his parties drinks beer with olives either. So... Maybe so, it's a northern Minnesota thing. When I when I first moved here from Illinois, I was inundated with all the like Minnesota isms and you duck, know duck, all, the, all the things. Yes, which is wrong. I no, I will die on that hill. Um, but things like oh, Ludafus saying oh, you betcha, or you know, instead of saying something's oh, expensive. Is so gross. Oh, that's mighty spendy. Well, and Ludafus, we don't have to rely on anymore because thanks to Marge who figured out the whole frozen you, food thing, so we don't have to boil our you know, put our fish yeah. in acid to preserve it. Um, I mean, but I, I thought that was a Scandinavian thing that they just brought over. But it was like, because of the lack of refrigeration. Minnesotan. It was the lack of refrigeration. Anyway, I thought a lot of this stuff were jokes. I'm like, no one, no one behaves this way. And I remember vividly, I was in a Barnes and Noble and there was a guy who was on the phone. He's looking at DVDs like, oh yeah, I like it. But you know, it's mighty spendy. And I, ju I just about shat myself right then and there. I was like, oh, it's like. I spotted one in the wild. Oh my God. He said it. He said it. This is real. And now. Like it's expensive. Is yeah. mighty it's, spendy? It's, it's mighty, mighty spendy. spendy instead of saying it's expensive. I kind of like that better. And now I've become like so aggressively say, Minnesotan because person, I think it's hilarious. The person <laughs> yeah. that you are currently dating is the most aggressive person I've ever heard. He says. Like, yeah, sure, you betcha. More than any other person I know. And he's not even native Minnesotan. He's also a native Illinoisan. And he says, oh, yeah. like it's no. Like he, every other word. He's dropping like, opes what like is they're wrong with you? I'm like, no, we don't say it that much. No, we do. Here's the thing. That's a total transplant thing. Because we're like, oh, my God, this is adorable. I need to ingratiate myself with the Minnesotans. Oh, <laughs> oh, let me pass. Let me sneak past you for some sour cream there. Oh, oh, uh, when you're done with the ranch, could you pass it here? But yes, oh. your significant other says oh more than like any other person I know. And I love it. I love it so much. What are, what are things that you think East Coast people do and say? Oh, God, I'm trying to think. Um, huge. So, <laughs> so huge. during the 2016 election, there was a lot to say about 
Donald Trump and a lot to criticize. But what my mom, who's from New Jersey, took issue with was people making fun of him for saying huge. He's like, that's just what we say. Like, come on. There's so many yeah. other things isn't to pick it, on. Isn't it East Coast that like adds an R to to wash? They say wash. Yeah. That's and an that's East Coast thing, word. isn't like, it? Soda becomes soda. Soda. Yeah. And like, yeah, New York, New Jersey, Boston, people do that yeah. too. It's like Philly. Philly has a unique accent yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Warsh is the one that bothers me. I had a friend born and raised native Minnesotan. I don't think I ever been to DC said Warsh. And it was like the bane of my entire childhood. <laughs> I'm like, why? There's no, like we had a teacher whose last name was Washburn. And she would say Warshburn. And I'm like, it is someone's last name. There's no R in it. Yeah, you're just making stuff up at this point. Yeah, See, in the, in the Midwest, though, was a thing. we don't have time to, like, pick on other regions' dialects because we have our own, like, water fountain versus bubbler, <sighs> con- like, thing. civil war going on here. I had a, I had a friend so, in school who was like, I will yep. die on the bubbler hill. So it was Minnesota and Wisconsin. You know, we're neighbors. We're separated by a river. Wisconsin's our drunken farmer cousins. Yep. It's fine. Um, but me and Emily, well, she's native Illinois, but grew up in Minnesota, went to school in Wisconsin. And yeah, they Wisconsin claims that it is allowed to be called a bubbler because they invented it. Whereas like everybody else is like, no, it's a fucking water fountain. What the fuck is wrong with you? And they're like, no, it's a bubbler. And I'm like. You can keep that, Wisconsin. The rest of us are gonna say what the I, rest of us are gonna say water fountain. I went okay to a, I went to a history museum with that friend who was gonna die on the bubbler hill and she did find a t shirt that had said bubbler and had oh the definition. God. She bought I I don't no. even know if she bought it. It was just she was suddenly wearing it. And you were like, Where did that come from? Yeah. She just adopted it as her skin. No. But yeah, we've we've that was, we've a, that was a big contention at our college because our yeah. college was like 50% people from Wisconsin, 50, 50% people from Minnesota because it was like right on the border. Yeah. Popular. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's water fountain. It is. The, 100%. 100%. All right. Back to the actual interview. Oh, my God. Yeah. We oh, have yeah. questions that, that. We, that we wrote up. So you kind of mentioned this with the cemetery we just talked about, but we've found in history that there seems to be this hierarchy of whose stories get told over whose. And even in women's history, the names that tend to survive are predominantly white women. Um, but how do you dre- address intersectionality in the tours of yours? Like, obviously, you must have sites that are not necessarily white women. Yeah, I mean, listen, for anybody that's listening, I am a white woman. And so this is, you know, my identity. And I'm very mindful of it as I approach these tours. Um, this is part of the reason why I try to partner and work with other people to bring different perspectives to the kinds of history that we're telling. But one thing that's like really, really important to note about Washington, D.C. is that we have a lot of Black history here. And primarily, it's documented really well because of Howard University. So Howard University is an HBCU, Historically Black College University, one of the most well-known. And so for us, it's all of our tours have like intersectional components, but I think a lot of it has to do with the neighborhoods because, you know, if we're on the national mall, we're 
often talking a lot about federal history. And if we're off the National Mall, we have an opportunity to talk more about local history. So that that kind of drives what, you know, what our content and our commentary is. Um, but yeah, I think particularly writing the book, having the Howard University archives was like really, really helpful in finding those stories and bringing them to the surface. That's amazing. I'm so jealous that you like have have those resources at your disposal there's not a like we have like the minnesota natural history museum and like our history museum and stuff but other than that there's not like a ton of archives and stuff we get to dig into well i mean dc history is so just intrinsic to national history you know like it's it's kind of like the 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 main hub of American <laughs> history. That's incredible. And I'm, and I, I think that's really um, poignant what you were saying about it depends on the neighborhood because it's also indicative of the representation that's currently there. Like what is there here for us to talk about? Well, on the national mall, it's all federal history yeah. and that has a certain makeup, but the fact that you're going to areas that people may not otherwise like think of and telling those stories is really important. And I love that you're using your platform to do that. Yeah. Yeah, we're also just really hyper local. Like I I just like try to earn the trust of my community and what I find is that it sort of like echoes and waves outward. Yeah. So we you know, people want to know more about their neighborhoods. Like we we did a whole bus tour in November. It was like four hours and we went literally like we barely went to downtown DC. We did a whole circle around and locals were like oh, I've never been to this neighborhood. I've never seen that statue. But here's what I'll say is like, when you tell women's history or marginalized history in general, so black history, queer history, disability rights history, it often takes you away from the mainstream stream areas yeah. because that's where our history lives. So it, it it's like a weird thing with us where it's like, not only are we sort of, you know, leaving the traditional narrative where it is we're like it's very geographic as well like it just makes sense for us to like venture out physically to to find these places and these stories so I feel like there's a sociologist out there who is just looking for a project and they could totally do it on the the prominent sites around like big cities and how the how the makeup of the people they focus on changes the further you move from the center of that site yeah, definitely. I'm and not DC- that sociologist. I know. <laughs> Hopefully they're listening. And if they yes. are, we'll we'll work with them. Yeah, we'll um, we're calling you out right now. And we'll help you. We will help you. Yep. Um, DC is unique. If you've ever been here, it's unique in that we don't build upward like New York or Chicago. We have height limitations on how high the buildings can go. They go about 13 stories and that's it. We maintain our skyline like this. And so uh, what that causes is like growth outward, not upward. And so you have like, that's why our neighborhoods are just have so much character and personality and they're always evolving and changing over time. So it's just not only women's history, but Washington, D.C. is super unique in our stories and our growth. That's incredible. And like, I've, I've been to DC, but I was in eighth grade, so I don't know shit. So that's, that's not something I ever realized, you know, like, like going to DC for the first time, I feel for a lot of people, it's hitting the big sites. It's the Vietnam 
Wall Memorial, which has its own piece of hidden history that we covered because the woman who designed it was an Asian woman and she's a badass. Um, you know, the Smithsonian Museums, the Holocaust Museum was, I, I told my parents, I'm like, we're going here, by the way. Like, this isn't a, this isn't a choice that we get to make. Um, and, you know, like the memorials and the National Mall and all that. But having that insight into Washington, D.C., because as people who live, you know, halfway across the country. I don't think we always think of DC as a community that people live and work in. We think of it as a place that houses history, monuments, museums, and memorials. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like it's an archive in itself versus a living thing. Yeah, no, I I definitely understand that. But we're we're definitely a living thing. So we have over 700,000 people that live in DC proper. That doesn't include people in Maryland or Virginia. So our population is more than, I think, like the entire state of Wyoming and the entire state of Vermont. I mean, we are, yeah, we got people here, you know. (laughs) Um, We also have like the second largest theater community outside of New York City. We have so many theaters and performers and it's super edgy. And I think people don't think of DC as an arts community, but we really, really, truly are. Um, And yeah, like there's just like a lot of personality here. And I I wish that's something that people knew about DC outside of that, that, that archive that you're sort of Mm -hmm. talking about. That's incredible. That that's, that's just super cool. I've never been to DC now. Like I've always wanted to go, but well, now we're I'm going. More like, we're I going. Want to go. It's happening. I I put in our vision board. Therefore, it must happen. Um, because that's how things work. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Manifest it. Yes. So, c- kind of going back to like that theme of like, are there certain sites that you feel people should know about? Is there a particular woman or story that you've learned about through your experience of creating Toho that really resonates with you personally? Again, because there's no like one great woman just like who resonates with you as a as an individual mm. can be a repeat if you've already told us about her I'm asking the big questions I did not fuck around with these questions I know and I didn't get any like you know prep before this we're, we're going we're rolling with it we're so mean um gosh I think I'll I'll go with this one person because we were sort of talking about it. Um, her name is Mamie Peanut Johnson, and she was one of only three or four women to play baseball in the Negro Leagues. Wow. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Yeah. So I I like her story, of course, because she's an athlete and, of course, a tour of her own is – you know, based on a league of their own, the movie, not Virginia Woolf. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Not to, not to stay there, but, um, they also just made an Amazon prime series. Isn't it good? I've seen, like, I saw that it was a thing. Oh, I I didn't even hear about that. Here's what I'll say. Everybody should watch it. Okay. Everybody should watch it. I personally love it. But I find it extremely relatable to a lot of things happening in my world, in my life at the moment. Um, There's enough similarity to the originals where it's recognizable. But I think that there's a lot of creative, like, differences to make it different or, you know, to make it, like, its own. 
Definitely watch it. Um, but one of the things that they do is they incorporate like diverse stories. So there is the narrative of the Negro Leagues. There is the narrative of sort of the queer experience of being on a women's sports team. So I, I like it for that perspective. Um, and I just rewatched it for a second time. And I think it's even better the second time you just like pick up on things. So yeah, so Peanut Johnson is one of, I think it's four women in the Negro Leagues and the only pitcher. And she got the nickname Peanut because she was like super tiny and small, but like mighty and powerful and just like super good. She grew up in Washington, D.C. and she was playing baseball in a sandlot in northeast washington dc wow like was discovered that's huge yeah she was scouted here and went on to have this amazing career in the negro leagues but as you can imagine like for anybody that is in the league or a woman pursuing a career in athletics it's still short-lived so she had a great career but it was short-lived you know and then she spent the rest of her life as a nurse in Washington, D.C., just like... Sounds about right. Yeah, exactly. Just like being an average, everyday person. She probably walked across, you know, past people on the street who didn't know who she was. And then years later, so this is like recently, the past like five or ten years, the MLB kind of did like a, like a look back to honor players from the Negro Leagues. And so the Washington Nationals adopted peanut john johnson onto their team as an official player so she's wow that's so yeah. cool i'm not yeah. crying you're crying <laughs> i'm not having an emotional reaction it's fine <laughs> that's amazing though and like that's what i love i i feel like we're really in this era of people you know with the access to the internet and podcasts and all of these alternative learning resources we're really in this era of people taking control of their education and learning and sharing stories about people and events that otherwise were not included in our mainstream education. And so the fact that she has kind of broken through that barrier and a second time, yeah. you know, to, to into the public conscious and even being recognized by the, M by the MLB is just damn Amazing. peanut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's super cool. So I, I love her story. It's it's local, but it's like you said, national as well, you know? Yeah. So we've mentioned your online tours several times, but do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about how they can engage with Toho, even if they can't make their way to D.C.? Sure. So we currently have a membership program. If you support a tour of our own you can become a member and we have different packages and that's just your way of kind of joining us and some of the perks of the membership include free or discounted access to our programs and right now this year we have two virtual programs every single month so this is 2023 and we have a virtual tour and virtual book club so the virtual tours are different every month. They range from like first ladies to Arlington National Cemetery virtual tour. Our most famous one, which is called Hookers, Healers, and Heroines. I, love <laughs> I am here yeah. for bad bitches. <laughs> we love telling hooker stories. Oh my the God. 
Yeah. One of my favorite Minnesota stories that I covered was a madam. Yeah. Who like, like she kind of came out of obscurity and rose through the ranks to the point where like the cops literally could not or would not touch her because she's like, I know what all of you are into and you better not fuck with me. It was amazing. Yes. Yeah. There's those madams have a lot. They know all the secrets. They have a lot of power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We we really love them. So that's what that tour is about. It was like, like Civil War era, like hookers, but then also like nurses, like all yeah. these women doing these unique jobs at the same time. Um, so yeah, virtual tours are, are, are really great. We offer them live and then we'll send you a recording if you can't make it live. But a lot of people like it because our tour guide comes in in real time. You can chat in the Q&A box of Zoom and it's sort of like a little bit like lecture style. So yeah. we have a tour guide and then like slides to show you like pictures and images and videos. And then usually after we stay on and like chat with you for a little bit. And then what we introduced this year was virtual book club. So we started in January. It's okay. If you're just hearing about it now, you can join at any time, but we're going through every single chapter of our book, all 111 chapters. That's awesome. Yeah. Like January, we did 11 chapters. February, we did 11. March, we'll do 11. So we're going to do this every month until October. And we would have completed the book. So that's like really fun because it's me and my co-author, Rebecca. And we're like, all right, we have an hour. Go. And we just like spit fire, like everything we know and like everything that happened and like our whole process of writing the book. So people really like that one as well. And yeah, it's a it's a good way to to join us. If you're not in D.C., you can still hang out, learn and participate. Yeah. That is incredible. And also as someone who cannot just like hop over to DC at a whim's notice, that's amazing to know. So what is, um, what is something that you find that surprises people the most on your tours? Like throughout this whole interview, I have been surprised and delighted by some of the new facts I've learned, but do you find there's something people mostly are like, Oh my God, like what? Women invent, like did freezer food? Um, two general answers and I'll give a couple more specific after is like almost everybody responds with the same reaction like why did I never learn this in school yeah universal yes (laughs) like they're they're so in awe of having received this information but then it, it automatically like triggers like a like a defense, like why, like why, you know, like this is important, you know, yeah. and they want answers and and that's totally, you know, within reason. So we get that a lot. And then the second thing is with our local audience, we will hear people say like, I have lived here my whole life. I have lived here for a decade and I didn't know that. I walk by this memorial every day and I didn't know this feminist perspective of it. And honestly, that's like the most rewarding because, you know, if you're bringing this new knowledge to someone that really already has like a a foundation, it's impressive. Yeah. So that one always like really reaches, pulls at my heart, my heartstrings a little bit. Um, I think to talk a little bit more specifically Um, One of the facts that I love to share is that we've had, I believe it's 
23 women who have officially run for president in the United States of America. The first one being Belleville Lockwood in 1884. She, <laughs> please do an episode on Belleville Lockwood. Okay, because we did... Um... Victoria Woodhull. Yes, mm-hmm. and, and we, we did a joint episode where we covered Victoria Woodhull and her sister, Tenny. Um, and she's always billed as the first woman who ran for president. So Victoria Woodhull wasn't of age. She was only, I think, 34. Oh. Belva Lockwood was officially 35 or older. So she was on a ballot and she received over 5,000 votes before women could even vote for president. So she got all these votes from from men. She also, Belva Lockwood, was the first female lawyer to argue in front of the Supreme Court. So she's a boss and she she is is buried in Washington, D.C. in Congressional Cemetery. That's that's the the cemetery I got drunk in. That's where we're going to go. Yes. (laughs) And um, and she's super cool. And one of the reasons why she was so successful was because at this time she was watching all these bros riding bikes around Washington, D.C. And she was like. I want to ride a bike around DC. They're getting stuff done so much quicker than I am. And so she had this big old bike that her hoop skirt could fit into and she would just ride it around DC. And I don't know why this happened. She was kind of weird, but she had a, a pet parrot uh, that she would have on her shoulder. That's awesome. And the parrot's name was jokes. Yeah. So she had like, Oh my God. Every, every city has the parrot person though. <laughs> every city. <laughs> Ours is the second street waving guy. He does not have a parrot, but he's got like everything else. But every city has someone has that person. And she's like, we don't have a parrot person. I'm a be them. Yeah. 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 Oh my God. That is. And like, again, like we are in the space we are, you know, putting out episodes on a weekly basis, trying to learn about these women. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, well, like, now I feel like we missed people like that's in, but, but there's, always people there's oh, yeah. always something new to learn and that's one of the most exciting parts about it totally and and it's not just that she was the first because i also don't love the first the first the first right 23 total yeah and like i think at least 50 percent of them were within the past like eight years and that's so huge. yeah so many women who have run for president that have come and gone people don't know their names people don't even know it i do a poll and i'm like how many people have run for president and they're like Hillary Clinton and Geraldine Ferrara. Like they only know like two or three. And that the fact that there's been so many more that have just gone totally undetected is that wow moment. You know, yeah. people really like just mm-hmm. can't believe it. That's incredible. I I love how much we're learning in this. Interview. I, know. I love this. <laughs> I feel like we might be learning more. What does the future look like for Toho and what are some of the new programs or initiatives you're looking to work on? It's a good question. I think it requires some sort of internal and external responses. So I think, um, you know, (laughs) like drunken cemetery tours. Yes, I know. Uh, I want Toho to exist beyond just me. I, I don't, ever want to be just the only face to it or having to be you know the sole person operating in I think we've 
come to a good place where that can that can happen. Um, I think that Toho will always be like Washington, D.C., hyper-focused. This community is particularly special. I think that these tours work here. I don't know if they work in other cities, honestly. I know they work in D.C., though. And we've put a lot of effort into building a reputation in Washington, D.C. So this is our home. With that, though, I think that there is probably an opportunity and a need to expand outside of Washington, D.C. Um, just, well, it happened before the pandemic, and it's definitely happening now in that we are navigating more bus tours than we are walking tours. So I could see us building out programs that are traveling through other cities, um, but I don't, I don't know that yet. Like, it would have to be the right fit. One thing, though, that I do know for sure is that I know we are in a unique situation in D.C. in that we have a lot of privilege. Like, it is really an honor to be able to tell these stories in the nation's capital and have free museums, accessible monuments and memorials, resources, you know, at our fingertips. And that's just like not the case for women across the world. So at some point, I would love for Toho to support women's communities outside of the United States. Um, a lot of women depend on tourism for a living, for, you know, just to have purpose, to make money, all of that. So I don't know if it's like a we do tours in other places in other countries, but I think some element of our work really needs to be like philanthropical. Is that a word? Philanthropic. Philanthropic. Yeah. I yeah. like philanthropical. It sounds like philanthropic and tropical mixed together. It's like you're, phil you're philanthropic, but you got a free drink on the beach and it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I love yeah. that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Lori is apparently very upset. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. I, I think it's important to just branch out of the nation's capital of the United States and, and give back to other places in the world. But I also think it's important to have an identity here in DC. So that's like a hard thing to balance. Um, I'll figure it out as I go. But like I said, when I started, I didn't know where we would be. And I still have a similar flexibility in that Toho will be whatever it's meant to be. There'll be Toho spinoffs in various yeah. areas. Toho MN. Toho yeah. MN. So, yes. Heck yeah. Yes, please. You have uh, two allies already for Toho <laughs> MN. Yeah. As long as you don't infringe on Toho with an E-M-N, we're, we're good. good. <laughs> that, that's my foot, my that's foot, fetish, foot fetish thing. There's an E in it. It's Toho H-O-E. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's so limits me because I kind of like it, honestly. Yeah, no, I hey, hey, here's the thing: if you want my feet to dress up as like RBG and other historical figures, I'm down with that. You know, maybe she wants to be like a guest foot on Toho. And yeah, then. yeah, yeah. I'm not against the idea <laughs> of <laughs> sexy barefoot history tours. I'm here for and it. like, yeah, you know, there's an imbalance between you know men's earnings and women's, and if that's how we balance it out somehow. Okay. Yeah. Maybe that's 100%. We'll roll with it. So <laughs> last but not least, where can our listeners connect with you, schedule tours, find you online, and otherwise embrace the glory that is Toho without the E? Also the book. <laughs> and the book, of course. 
First and foremost, sign up for our email list. So visit our website, www.atourofherown.com and just scope it out, like get curious, look around, but definitely sign up for our email list. That's where I am most active. So to learn about upcoming programs and then just get some education, you know, the inbox is where it's at. Think beyond that. I'm super active on Instagram. So follow us there at a tour of her own. You can also follow me personally if you want at Kate Cal, K-A-I-T-C-A-L. And um, please comment and say, hey, I heard you on whining with her story. Whining her story. Wh- whining, whining about, about her, her story. story. Yeah. These Maybe we should re-record bitches. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whining about her story uh (laughs) yeah let me know that you you listen to us um yeah beyond that you know women are very word of mouth like you'll see an advertisement and you're like fuck that i'm not buying this it's the patriarchy but if your girlfriend's like hey go book a tour with this company you like trust it so much so no matter where you are in the world consider a private tour. Honestly, booking a virtual program with us is a really great way to connect with your friends. Or if you run any kind of like corporate DEI programs, we got you. Reach out and we'll we'll set something up for you. Um, beyond that, like just have fun, like engage with all kinds of women's organizations that are doing this work and, um, you know, support local women-owned businesses in your neighborhood. Toho is here in DC when you're ready. And uh, just thank you for listening to my like very long story tonight. I can't believe if you're still listening to this, kudos. Good on you. You have a huge attention span. I was here for every fucking second. I know I was here. Yeah. I'm like, and more. Yeah. And more. And more. (laughs) We're special though. Yeah. Well, Caitlin, we cannot even begin to thank you enough for coming on our show telling us about you dc history women's history in dc the cool sites your tour company and everything and we cannot wait to get our asses out there and take a fucking tour because like i could be on my deathbed i'm like nope gotta go toho Gotta fucking go, I gotta to, go to DC and go to my parents. My parents know I love them. They don't need to hear me say it. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Even the pugs are like, get me on a fucking tour. Do you have dog friendly tours? Maybe the walking ones. Cause, Cause Dory is like here for this shit. She's a little feminist. <laughs> well, if you're on your deathbed coming on a Toho tour, that's great because we're going on a cemetery. Crawl. Yeah, there you go. Oh, just, my We'll just dad. leave you in the last one and walk away. Yes. I'm here <laughs> for like, it. And here's your final resting place. Bye, bitch. <laughs> oh my God. Like, okay, no one's gonna remember why I didn't like, but they're gonna remember where and how I died. And it's gonna be the coolest shit in the world. And then I'm haunt not the- even on the headstone. It's just a bottle of wine. I'm yep. gonna haunt the crap out of that place. And Hell on yeah. the anniversary of my death every year, someone leaves a bottle of ro- wine with roses in them. <laughs> Very it romantic. It has to be a cab sov. It has to be a cab sov or like a that. really fruity Moscato. Yep. She either goes real red or real fruity. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no in between for Emily. Yep. Uh, great. I love this. Well, Caitlin, again, seriously, 
Thank you so much. We loved having you. We really appreciate you helping us kick off Women's History Month. But as you said, and as our listeners know, Women's History Month is every month because women's history is your history, their history, and our history. So just saying. Get with the program. Yeah. Nailed it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Her Street. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. I'm Caitlin. And have an empowered day, y'all. Bye. Bye. (laughs) And we are hitting the ground running with a very special guest, Caitlin Kelleg. Oh, fuck. (laughs) I should have asked how you... I have Do it. not edit this. We need the full. <laughs> I'll put it at the end or something. If it makes Cal- you feel any better, Caldera? everyone. Kalajira. Kalajira. Oh, yeah. But everybody fuck fucks it up, and okay. and then they get like super red, and they don't know what to do. Yep. You at least just owned it, so we're. I, yep. We're used to fucking things up over here. <laughs> I live in a constant pool of my own shame and embarrassment. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God! There's a cat. Oh my god. No, I just popped up for a second. Oh my god. I'm like, are you having a a black animal moment? I'm having such a... Here's the thing, though. Okay, your black animal scared the ever-living hell out of me. This was excitement. So, we didn't hit record. I never stopped recording. Oh shit, seriously? Yeah. Oh fuck! I figured it would be easier if we didn't stop recording. Well, first of all, it is. But also, I didn't think anything I was saying was was being recorded. It's fine. It's fine. Well, here's the thing. Everything in the video is staying in this episode for our patrons. They get to see us at our worst. Oh, you edit the video and the audio separately. So they're two. Oh, what a a steal for your, your patrons. I love that.